welcome to Trap One Podcast, which this week I'm hosting. I'm Andrew, creator of the 12th Doctor on Audios, and um, yeah, these are my co-conspirators, Guillaume Babay. Hello. And Dylan O'Hara. Hello. And they, um, yeah, it's a pleasure to have them along. We're here to, um, Mark has kindly let us hijack his podcast for the week to talk about um, the most recent episode, um, The Time Lord's Tale. I remembered it this time. I remembered the name. That's yes. a good start. You did it. So we're going to dive right on in. Um, Mark, regrettably, couldn't be here to um, ask us about um, the episode this week, so he's left us a series of questions for um, answering and for discussing. To deduce his location in space and time, Mm -hmm. we have to track him down. And we'll find him. I've got the questions here, and we're going to start with Ron, who plays the 12th Doctor in our series. Um, yes. And question for you, Guillaume. First one is, mm-hmm. how did you approach this episode and the Doctor's evolving relationship with Ella? That's a very good question, and I'm uh, sorry to say that these are the questions that maybe didn't cross my mind immediately during recording, because I uh, worried, you know, about the script in itself, um, you know, um, making it right, because it's one of the most uh, demanding uh, scripts in terms of um, line numbers because the Doctor is both uh, an active character and a narrator in it. So I had to find two different tones, two different attitudes. Um, but like uh, I said in the previous time I was in um, in Trap Podcast, uh, you really do rediscover the episode when it once it airs, once it all uh, edited together. And indeed, it seems to be the, um, the turning point in terms of uh, um, Ella and the Doctor becoming a true uh, TARDIS team uh, of some sort. Uh, they really seem to have, you know, uh, their d- dynamic um, quite... Um, quite in order, uh, even though there's still, you know, some tension and uh, I suppose it will continue along the way. I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, but it, it's really at this moment in the series where I think they really do make uh, a great um, working team. I don't know if that answers the question, though. That's nice. No, I think good. it does. We'll say it does. does. Yeah, <laughs> that's very it's, generous. Um, yeah, I'll hear your thoughts on the um, episode as well. Just like you know, how you yeah, how are you kind of seeing the um, arcs for the characters develop? Actually, because that's um, yeah. and I think that's kind of fits with what I was going for as well. I think this is meant to be sort of a high point for the Doctor and Ella as a team, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and perhaps I've um, realised here it's probably useful to talk about the premise of the episode, which I'll. Um, I was going to say, <laughs> oh, we do need to. Yeah, question. I've been yeah asked that Mark's left for me. So um, what made you decide to use the Canterbury Tales as a setting and how did you choose to you how did you choose which pilgrims from the Canterbury Tales to use? I can ask yeah. you that if it would make it more natural. I think I'm just gonna have to go with it, Clark. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm just gonna have to go with it. Um, We've got yeah. time. So um yeah the um yeah, what made me decide to use the Canterbury Tales? Um, it's about um, so yeah, the story is um, basically the premise of the story 
is um, that the Doctor has um, found himself um, alone and um, without his TARDIS, without his companion, when we meet him at the start of the story. And instead, he's travelling with two of the pilgrims from the Canterbury Tales, um, the Knight and the Wife of Bath. And his mm-hmm. and he um, essentially enters the story of the Canterbury Tales and tells a story of his own, like um, all the characters in that story do. Um, and so, yeah... Um, I chose the Canterbury Tales um, because I wanted to tell a sort of historical story. Um, you know, I've done stories set in the present. Um, I knew I was going to do stories set in the future later in the series. Um, and I wanted to do a historical one that actually went for the um, other kind of third of Doctor Who's stories, main story types, which is the historical one. Um, and so I decided to talk about... Um, yeah, I decided to look at the Canterbury Tales specifically. I decided that that was um, an element of history that interested me the most was its literature. I'm a lit student. And um, <laughs> so I thought instead of doing a straight historical, you know, that's about a major historical figure or a specific time period, I'd do one that was actually, you know, the Doctor in the Canterbury Tales. That was a thing that interested me the most. I thought that's a good fit for um, the storybook Moffat era, um, you know, which still persists with 12. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Less storybook doctor. Um, yeah. I mean, like, uh, not to interject here, but there's just the obvious thing of 12's first historical was Robin Hood rather than, like, yeah, any <laughs> real person. Mm, yes, exactly. Um, you know, it's um, I went for it because... Um, yeah, I love the Canterbury Tales. I think they're very funny and um, witty and um, kind of, um, yeah, silly and, um, yeah, just very entertaining and engaging. Um, and I thought that was kind of a fun kind of um, thing to play about in a bit and kind of explore. Um, in terms of, and, you know, it's not just the Canterbury Tales, technically, as we go through the story, um, we see... Um, the Doctor and Ella interacting with characters from across medieval literature, basically. It kind of gave me a chance to just go for, like, you know, engage my inner lit geek a lot as well, um, <laughs> which is the other thing I wanted to do. I wanted this to be an episode where I just kind of um, threw all my special interests together into a blender and um, yeah, look at Yeah, that's, that's what Doctor Who allows. <laughs> Yeah, precisely. Um, and yeah, I'm really, yeah, I think I liked what came out because of that. It's, um, that was what made me choose it. In terms of what made me choose the wife of Bath and the knights, I think, um, yeah, they were kind of two characters who I found especially memorable. I knew I had to have the wife of Bath in there because um, she's one of my favorite characters from the um, tales. I thought, um, yeah, the knight was another one whose um, story I remembered pretty strongly. And Well, for I those of us at home who don't know what the wife of Bath is, who haven't br- brushed up on their chowser in a hot second, could you mm. give us a quick lowdown? Okay, so the wife of Bath, especially like, so, um, yeah, is a character like, most of the characters in the Canterbury Tales are... Um, pilgrims who um, then tell a story within the um, overall, um, you know, are just kind of a framework of like pilgrims going and then telling um, stories within the story, basically. Um, The wife of Bath, um, however, like instead of telling the story, um, telling a story, like she has like, yeah, there's like, 
three quarters of her section of it, basically, um, are roughly her prologue. Most characters have a prologue where they introduce themselves and then what they're going to tell their story about. Um, her prologue lasts for three quarters of her section, and then the story yeah, is quite people like that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I remember. <laughs> well, that's a joke, you know, and it's um, yeah. you know, it makes her a very colourful and vivid character. We learn about all these um, men she's um, married across her life and um, how she's um got a very um cynical and worldly view of marriage and how it works basically you go girl hell yeah <laughs> yeah hashtag gaslight gatekeep girl boss but it's oh, um, so <laughs> you get the boat yeah um yeah it was we learned that she's um married in a group of increasingly um wealthy men to um get by in patriarchal society basically and um you know it's this is giving a summary from university um lectures i went through um years ago as well i should add but um yeah i think that makes her a fun character to play with basically um you know and they repeatedly you know they repeatedly die she marries someone new and another one dies she marries someone new and tells a bit about what marriage was like you know um i don't think we're meant to yeah i don't think you have to assume that she's been killing all these guys off but it's a fun interpretation you can make um <laughs> it makes it funnier you know yeah. um yeah it's um and then she yeah, tells her own tale as well. Um, it's, you know, I think she's been looked at as a proto-feminist character, which I'm not necessarily sure about. Um, I think there's a lot of um, gender essentialism in the Canterbury Tales as a whole, but um, in a way that makes it interesting to prod that side of them with a stick. And I think the wife of yeah. Bath embodies that pretty well. I think the same could be true for the um, knight as well. His um, tale is one that's about courtly romance, um, about two guys who um, pine after this girl and get in a love triangle over her, basically. Um, and um, that's, um, you know, so it's. I think it makes those stories kind of fun to prod at without, you know, and yeah. the story only touches on those things. Um, you know, um, the Time Lord's tale only touches on these things very briefly. Um, it yeah. glances at um, for texture more than for like anything else. But um, yeah, that was why I chose those characters, basically. I think there's a very funny bit in there but that I find very funny of like 12 being in the middle of this, like trying to figure out how to handle it. And there's a line that stuck with me of uh, <laughs> him trying to talk to the knight about his... Uh, attitudes shall we say and yeah. and the knight saying well she was said all those things in her story and she and and still being like <laughs> i don't know what to make of her story but i know that you definitely can't say that oh you can't say that i did it i made it well doing the voice <laughs> <laughs> yeah for, for for those who don't know off record if they they tried their best to make me do the voice they succeeded uh but we didn't record it sorry <laughs> uh, if i could interject because um andrew is talking about his um uh, academic mm. experience about those subjects and I share that experience, you know, I've graduated, well. yes, yeah. in uh, English literature, among other things. And mm. um, I remember those classic philology courses, uh, mostly about, about Chaucer, so, and the Green Knight, who makes an appearance yes. in our episode. Uh, so I have to admit, I giggled all the way through recording. That's why it took so long, uh, because <laughs> it reminded me of all those times. And I doubt, yeah. Yeah, not too I did enjoy editing the story, like just some of it into order. Um, Krista Matt here um, did the bulk of the editing, but I edited kind of just 
the dialogue into order, basically, um, before <laughs> she took over, um, and then you know um, added all the SFX and stuff. But um, you know, and so I got to hear those, um, yeah, um, Will's reactions to um, yeah the story and um, of him mutually geeking out with me over the um, you know <laughs> over the literary joke in jokes and stuff. So that was always fun. It's nice. I love that. No, that was grand. No, I, I, um, I just wanted to add because um, I'm just very thankful of my teacher, uh, Doctor um, Professor Elizabeth Dutton uh, from Oxford, actually, and she came to Switzerland to, oh to teach, and um, she's also um, um, uh, a play. Um, director she directed me in a few uh, Shakespeare plays and religious plays and she really made it fun for example mm. we had to uh, act as different characters from the Canterbury Tales mm. and try and make sense of old English and its pronunciation and uh, so doing that particular episode reminded me of those times so a bit of a shout out to Mrs. Dotton hooray <laughs> if she if she hears us, which I doubt, but we'll see. <laughs> I'm, glad it, um, I'm glad it reminded you of um, her lectures. That's um, that's always lovely. Um, yeah, I think we've covered that question in full now. Um, yes, um, yes. So for Dylan next. Now we'll um, talk about the music bits. Um, yes. Um, Mark's asked you to tell us about the um, arrangement of the theme tune for this episode. Um, so, yes, and uh, the music in general. Um, so could you um, tell us a bit about the um, theme? So so the theme to tune for this episode was in the main written by Thomas Hartwell, who's one of the co-composers. And like uh, we had one cue from Terry Fairchild in this episode to kind of like pick up where one of us was busy. I think it was me who was busy. I forget. I should be the one to remember that, but I'm not because I'm a fool. Anyway, the point is Thomas <laughs> uh, Thomas Hartwell came up with a great like fantasy theme for the, for this, and uh, like just uh, I think it's two and a half minutes ends to end, and it was and uh, it was written in full before like we started properly on the episode at all and that that just kind of like gave the whole thing a lot of momentum because it's like it was written with a view to like being like uh it goes through different phases and different like tones and moods and like there are a lot of different like elements spinning around and it's like that and th this just means that like uh when i'm going into one scene then i have like a lot of stuff that's just like there in the sketchbook that i can draw on so like usually in an episode, I'd be with with the other five episodes so far. I'd be like, uh, I'd be leading the charge as much as anyone else on like the figuring out the magic material. Uh, but uh, th this time around, I feel like I was just kind of like picking up uh, the the material the material that was there and it's just kind of like trying to be true to it and adapting it further and further because like uh, usually with. Uh, the, the the previous episodes mm -hmm. my my approach was more of the like modern conven conventional approach of like okay you have this character who uh, you have ella and you have ella's theme and then you have doctor and the doctor's theme and you have the villain you have the villain's theme and then you have other motifs for different concepts whereas this was more of an old school thing of uh, like in back to the future where like it's the one theme 
and it's just like adapted in different ways for different contexts and there are different ideas that are part of that theme that will show up in different ways but like it's all essentially one unified thing so that was like interesting and a challenge for me to like find just like figuring out on a technical level ways to make like the same thing sound like different things basically and make it communicate different like moods and emotions and like figuring out different ways to arrange it for different palettes like uh I, I would, last time I was on, I was talking about my uh, FM synths and all this, and I've been pushing myself more around this uh, again the, the, for this episode. And should, just like uh, when everything is in, when, when they're in the TARDIS, then it's like uh, almost lo-fi. And like, and then when they go into like the kind of the Canterbury Tales fantasy thing, then it's like a, uh, entirely full like fantasy mode and it's just kind of like trying to do, do that to convey the different settings and like uh that was fun to do like a full fantasy thing because it wasn't something i had done before just kind of figuring out that it's a lot about like not so much the way you write the music as the way it's arranged like tremolo strings glockenspiels things of this nature and i had a lot of fun with that so that's the gist of it that uh, uh thomas hartwell's theme that was written before uh, the first thing that's kind of like what gave the whole thing structure and momentum and a lot of what i was doing was just sort of figuring out different ways to arrange that yeah and yeah, no, um, it's yeah i think you did a wonderful job on this one all of yeah, you it's, i agree um, i really like the um, the um that treatment it created a soundscape and at the same time it really accompanied the scenes well it really made you feel you were in a special place <sighs> That's lovely. Thank you. I'm always a fan of um, lo-fi, um, lo-fi beats too. I'm traveling space and time too. Yes. Um, yeah, I have yeah. that too. No, it's a, also, um, yeah, I think worth um, giving a particular shout out because, um, yeah, to the theme tune as well, um, yeah, which was yeah. Thomas Hartwell's um Yep, um, composition. Um, the idea was suggested by Krista um, McTyre, the um, ed- episode's editor, and then um, yeah, and um, Thomas took up the um, suggestion and um, ran with it to create that beautiful, um, beautiful theme. Um, I thought it, you know, I love the way that, it, especially, I think that I love is the way um, the um, pre-titles, the um, music in that sequence, yes. um, kind of just True. dovetails into it. I think it works really wonderfully, basically, and yeah, it does just give it a whole new um, feel. Just that sense that um, I think, and this was Krista's idea again, was that it yeah. would, yeah, make it the idea that you know the Doctor's storytelling is more part of the diegesis of the episodes then because he's telling a Doctor Who story as well. That's so true. I hadn't even thought of it like that. That's so true. That's, again, so very meta, and it works very yes. well for uh, the sound format as well. Yeah. An audio medium. Yeah. And and both times that uh, Thomas has had the opportunity to do that because there's a very nice lead-in into the pre into the opening titles on the fourth episode, Lost Property, as well. Just this kind of like slide into it that's very satisfying to me. Yeah, no, that's definitely a thing that um yeah Thomas has done beautifully both times. Um, yeah, another thing that um, Mark's asked about the music, I think it kind of ties into what you've been saying. So I'm going yeah. to um ask that question now, Dylan. Um, is the um, music has an epic historical feel. What were your influences? So you've talked about the historical feel of that. Uh, I, I can honestly say that like a lot of what I've been learning about uh, how to write music, especially over the last few months, is like drawing a lot on just like 
the freaking YouTube channels that I learned this stuff off of. And like, <laughs> the, so they, they're literally things like, like there are conventions for fantasy music. And like I'm saying, like you have the tremolo strings and you have the glockenspiel and like a lot of, and like metal strokes percussion and you have like plucked strings and all of these things like sound very like specific and almost arbitrary but like it it adds up to like a specific thing that's like drawing on john williams which who in turn is drawing on like tchaikovsky for example and like Mm -hmm. this is some of what i've been learning because like you you see the stuff in like even like video games like for example whenever you have a bit that's like um Oh, Princess Rosalina's Comet Observer, or Princess Peach's Castle. All the music with those bits are drawing on Disney princess things, which are in turn drawing on stuff like Tchaikovsky. Oh. So, like, it's it, it, it's all like part of this musical lineage. And uh, in the end, like the way that I approach influences is more about like it's about the stuff that I've absorbed up to this point. And like when it kind of comes to like scoring a specific scene, I'm always more more like zeroed in on the question of, okay, I have to write 45 seconds of something that's kind of tense, but not too tense. And just like figuring out exactly how to do that based on like my usual toolbox of tricks. So like I don't even have time to copy anyone else. <laughs> yeah that's very fair no, it's um yeah that's really cool thank you for um thank yeah. you for sharing that it's um <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned um the um yeah thing about you know um yeah composers for like the kirby games um drawing yes, so- yes. it's um i was yeah. um you know because i've been going to um classical concerts more with um yeah, yeah a friend of mine recently who's um yeah got um experience working um who's um who's um studied you know musicology at university yes. basically yeah. um and is a big classical music fan and like it's every time i go it's um i'm um watching the concerts thinking oh i've heard that um i'm going to the concerts to tchaikovsky or whoever um thinking this is um oh shit that's from kirby that's that's from indiana jones that's from yeah. you know williams did that you know <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. All it's, it's yeah so yeah, that is, I mean, like this is the thing you can't just lift a bar from uh tchaikovsky or baubach or mozart mozart and just let people be like oh nice reference very classy of you like, uh, in the third episode, I just dropped in a whole Bach piece, and, and it, it just like makes it feel more classy. Hopefully, yeah, no, it does definitely. You do, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you've done a great job arranging these. Um, yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, next question. Then I think the next question that would be um, good to talk about is um, one I've been given. Um, how tricky was it to work out the dio layers of narration? Okay, so um, yeah, I presume you know, we're talking about the um, yeah, dual um narrative structure that's I've kind of hinted out a bit earlier, um, yes. where the episode's kind of narrated partly by the Doctor and partly by Ella in the um, framing device um, with the characters from the Canterbury Tales, and partly mm-hmm. by Ella, who um, narrates the um, scenes that we um, see the Doctor in as well. Um, and, yeah, I think a lot of that is um, yeah, um, figuring out why they're um, narrating the story, which slowly unfolds and our understanding of it changes over the course of the episode. But, like, knowing what the endpoint reveal of why they're narrating the story is going to be, 
Um, you know, um, the Doctor has his reasons for telling the story to the wife of um, Bath, and um, Ella has her own reasons for narrating the Doctor's half of the tale, basically. Um, and those change, you know, and twist a couple of times until we understand the full picture of what's going on. Um, and then you've got to try and make sure it's some um, consistent with um, you know, the what goes through is consistent all the way through, even as your understanding shifts. Um, once you get to the ultimate reveal, everything that you've heard up to that point needs to be satisfying and honest, I think. Um, like a good example that doesn't spoil the twists of this episode, I think, is Hellbent as an example of that. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. where the Doctor is, um, you know, narrating the um, story to Clara and our yeah. understanding of what's going on in that framing device changes throughout. You know, at first we think, has he gone to meet, um, I don't know, a Clara Echo possibly because Clara seems to be dead at the start of the story. Um, and then, you know, we um, learn that, okay, no, maybe she's been um, mind-wiped. That seems to be um, a possibility before the ultimate reveal that, no, it's the Doctor who's been mind-wiped and he's just pieced it all together. And, yeah. um, you know, while our understanding of what's been going on in those scenes kind of shifts over the course of the episode as Clara gets um, rescued, but um, Clara gets taken out of time, so we know it's, you know, our Clara. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, as the, doc- as the um, issue of the... Um, Mind mind wipe device thing that I've forgotten the name of. Um, um, <laughs> Dual blocker. Thank you. That um, nice memory. Yeah, Ha-ha, I've watched that episode several times. Ah. Same. Um, yeah, it's um, same, and I still forgot. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, you had a neural block, but that. that... Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, once the neural block gets introduced, we understand that Clara's been mind wiped, or we assume she has, and then we learn it's the Doctor. But the ultimate reveal that it's the Doctor, when you go back and rewatch the scenes, makes sense and doesn't feel like a cheat. You know, there's a line yes. he has early in the episode where he says, "Memories are where stories go when sorry, stories are where memories go when they're forgotten." And the look on yeah. Cabaldi's face tells it that's what he's talking about. That he's forgotten this, and this is you know he's telling the story to Clara now. It's, you know, it makes logical sense with what's been going on. And that moment takes on an extra emotional heft when you see it again, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think, yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know that there's anything quite that that good in there that I've done with this, but I'm trying to keep that sense of both. Which one is as good as Hellbend, really? No, it's very hard. But um, <laughs> I'm just going to piss off a lot of people in fandom, but Hellbent rules. Um, yeah. Uh, I agree. Um, we agree, you know, yeah. um, let haters hate, you know. <laughs> they can't touch me. I'm in my dad's attic. What are they going to do? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's a good place to mind. Uh, yeah. I, I sorry to interrupt you, Andrew, because I just realized how uh, that dual uh, framing device of the Doctor and Ella um, both narrating their, uh, their part of the story mm actually uh, goes uh, fits very well with the fact that this episode is where we have that um, uh, proper um, team dynamic and it shows mm. how complementary they are how effective mm. they can work together to to mm. on an adventure you know and to solve a problem yeah i think that's definitely some of what i wanted to go for was that sense of ella and the doctor really becoming equals at this point mm-hmm. insofar as the yeah. doctor and commanding relationship is one can be one of equals um yeah you know because that's you know a thing i want to pick out over the course of the series and so this is kind of an important way to frame it, i think especially because i mean and gilm's talked about the amount of lines the doctor has i wanted this to be an episode where um you know the doctor gets a chance to 
have some of the limelight because I think this is mostly Ella's series, and I think that's as it yes. should be with Doctor yes. Who. Yeah, I, I agree. Yes. Story, but I also, you know, like Guillaume's a fantastic actor. I want him to have a chance to, you know, yes, um, yes. show his dramatic chops as well. Yes. Um, you know, so I, you know, took the chance to just, you know, write some big doctory monologues in there for him to sink his teeth into, and. Yeah. Um, you know, some moments for him to be um, clever and funny. And yeah, I really yeah, love how yeah, in tune yeah. you are you know, with um, just the humor of the mm-hmm. script as well. And like, you know, that's, you know, yeah, it's because, um, yeah, that's the thing that I always want to get right. Jokes. jokes are very important to me and you get them right. <laughs> I'm, I'm very glad because I really love, uh, I really love those um, funny bits. Uh, it's good uh, that this is an audio uh, medium because I'm red as a tomato now. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you very much for the praise. I think I was still evolving in terms of uh, performance at that point and having uh, so many lines was a great challenge. And I think it made um, the second half of the series uh, go with um, with a more um, spontaneous flow in terms of my performance. So um, mm. now that was a, a very good script to um, you know get my acting chops on. Oh, thank you very much, and it's the praise is well deserved. Seriously, um, I'm doing yeah, little so... claps. I'm doing little <laughs> claps. Yes, I'm very lucky to have a fantastic team to work with generally. Um, but anyway, yes, yeah, so yes, it was, that was, yeah, like I was saying about the dual narration, sorry, going back to that. Um, yeah, it was important to me to, for this to be a big um, a chance for the Doctor to show off a bit, but also for, you know, I want Ella to be there as an equal with the Doctor. So I think having that narration, one, it helps her be present in the scenes that um, she isn't otherwise in, because um, the Doctor's in practically every scene of the episode, much like, say, Ella's in practically every scene of Christmas alone, even the ones the Doctor isn't in. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, um, yeah, it helps. Uh, yeah, it helps establish them as equals. You know, telling the story and um, set up um, where I'm trying to go with Ella by the end of the episode. Basically, as she, you know, takes on the Doctor's role more throughout the story. Um, you know, also narration is just useful in audio. I've been finding that more and more as I write stuff post um, 12FA. You know, um, if you can find a reason to use narration that is organic to the narrative, um, sometimes that's just we're doing going with deciding we're doing narration and just diving right on in there yeah. um sometimes it's um you know like you find a fr- find a clever framing device and use that um yeah. it can make telling a story much more organic and real because you don't have characters just describing what they see right in front of them which is always the um you know pitfall that a lot of writers can fall into with audio um, True. You know, <laughs> actually looking back at the episode I think there are a couple of um, scenes where I wish I'd used the um, narration just that little bit more um, <laughs> so that you know because there are action scenes in the episode and sometimes it's yeah ah, um, it's a tricky balance it is but you know I'm um, yeah no I'm, I think you handled it pretty well with like lines yeah. or bibles are wonderfully heavy aren't they <laughs> oh yeah fine. oh yeah that was good um, yeah no that's that's the thing you can just um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the doctor narrating Ella um, flung the Bible at the guards wouldn't really um, add to that moment, would it? See that? And that's mm-hmm. where the balancing act comes in. Yes, but, yes. Yeah, it can definitely be a useful tool when used right. I know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like how that came together in this one. Um, yeah, I think we've reached the last of Mark's questions now, oh. um, which is about the guest cast. Um, so, 
I'll hand this over to both of you, actually, since you've listened to it. And um, mm. yeah, I just wanted to ask um, which um, performances from the guest cast, um, you know, stood out to you both, um, or like, yeah, talk about just the guest cast in general. Oh, are we allowed to? Are we allowed to pick favorites? Yeah, don't pick favorites. Just um, you know, okay, pick things to talk about and say nice things about them. There we go. I will let Dylan remember the names because I have a horrible memory when it comes to uh, names. Oh no! No, I, I do, and I and I want to apologize. Say character <laughs> names, and I'll say the cast. Yeah, thank okay. you, thank you. Okay, okay. So, yes, thank you. But I I I do remember Jarrell Paul as Prospero, who, mm. uh, who yes. made me think a bit of a more subdued Brian Blessed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. With his uh, booming yet cold voice that you know sounded aristocratic, intelligent, but completely um, um, uh, void of empathy, and it worked very yeah. well with the character. I really liked the wife of Bath, who had yeah. truly the perfect attitude. Yeah, Victoria Fitzgerald. Yeah, so. Um, kudos to mrs fitzgerald and i really liked emily i was quite moved yes that's alia itores right yeah, alia itori she um plays um yeah she plays missy in a lot of fan productions does a lot of um brilliant brilliant um impression work um for lots of different characters but um yeah she's um playing an original character here and um yeah i think she's marvelous in the role go on you want to Talk about it a bit. Yeah, she's one of the. Um, to me, she's one of the uh, emotional cause of the story. Apart from mm. you know, um, uh, Ella and the Doctor, she uh, makes this world alive. Yeah, I'll I'll say I'll quickly speak about Alia again. Um, yeah, I think she's. Yeah. Yes, right. please. Yeah, beyond right that she's the emotional core of the story. Um, hopefully, um, Mark's just edited out a bit where um yeah we accidentally <laughs> spoke about. <laughs> surrounding her character but um yeah she's really um fabulous in the role i think yeah like her character's story is one of like you know um you know finding courage when you've been downtrodden for a long time and i think she yeah. captures that emotional journey very mm -hmm. nicely basically yeah. with a lot of empathy and a lot of um skill um yes Yes, and she's always a delight to work with. We've recorded a few things with her now, including one thing that's yet to come out um, that I'm very excited for. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, just a little um, short sketch. And, um, yeah, she's always brilliant and always very efficient um, at recording and easy to work with and very generous and giving performer. Um, oh, yes. yeah. Um, so, yes. Um, go on, um, Dylan. Do you want to mention a couple of um, performances as well? Oh, jeez! Uh, oh. <laughs> wow, mm. I've never taught a single thought in my life. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, 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 me, let me look at the like. There's a Twitter thread of like actual performances, and I'm just going to pull up now. I'm just like, yeah, I did. I did love Ali Torres, and I did love. Prospero, but Will Shaw was, was in this, right? I, I just didn't yeah. like catch a lot of him because I don't think the Green Knight had a lot of lines in the end. No, no, he, um, yeah, um, a couple of my friends, um, Will and Mike, um, gamely um, cameoed yeah. along with myself in um, some 
roles um yeah it's just um minor characters who inhabit um this world um basically who inhabit the um town of canterbury basically um yeah. without giving too much away Oh, oh wait! No, no, no. We we do have the lady, the lady of the lake. I can say that. That's not like oh, a yes. whole thing, and it's yeah. pretty early on. Yeah, we we got the, you know, the the lady of the lake. She was cool. She it, that's like that's very vibey. You know, that's a very particular thing, and, and like that that was very cool. Uh, yeah, um, Aurora Adams as the lady Aurora of the lake. Adams. Yeah. does a wonderful job being kind of um, ethereal and strange, which is what you're going for with that character. Of course. And, um, yeah, kind of, um, yeah, captures, and, yeah, playing up kind of the campy moment of that script where suddenly the uh, Lady of the Lake appears and this is just a thing that's happening, basically. True. It's, um, it's, it's, very, it's very Holy Grail-y oh. in a way. Yeah, kind of yeah, like, yeah. It's got a bit of that in it. Yeah. arch humor about it. Um, I, slip yeah. in a, I slip in a Monty Python reference for... Um, oh, my. Play, you know, um, yeah. about, you know, um, handing out swords and um, that yeah. being... A, handing out swords to blokes and that being um, a basis for forming government. Um, yeah. Uh, so that was... Um, but no, she, and she kind of matches the tone of that scene perfectly, I think. Yeah. And um, uh, Jack Daw. Is is that his name? Uh, the um, the knight. Yeah, the name's yeah Jack. Yeah Jack David. Um, Jack David. Um, yeah, played the uh, knight again. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, um, yeah. It's just very boisterous, you know. Right? Ha ha! Yes. It's. I've been editing Jack's performance as the villain in episode mm-hmm. nine without giving too much away, and um, they play that role mm-hmm. very differently. Um, you know, much colder. Um, more um yeah more calculating and yeah find just a different tone of voice without do without yeah. doing a silly voice so that the characters sound distinct as well so it's it was interesting yeah, kind yeah. of listening to basically but yeah they um yeah. captured the yeah. uh, ridiculous masculinity of the night as the way I, yes. as i wrote him <laughs> very um wonderfully i think there's um yeah, I th- yeah there's a scene where the night is being uh you know, sexist in a way that's yeah is um, sent up for some ridiculous sexism, and you know those types of scenes True. can be disasters. But I think Jack nails it by um you know just really send up, sending up the ridiculousness as the night goes. I'm just saying, I'm just um, saying <laughs> that just that, that genuinely yeah. lives in my head rent free. Um, is Jack saying that? Hey, so, he was um, a great foil to the the, the wife of mm. Bath, and at the same time we were complimentary. So yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that's the whole guest cast we've talked about. Um, I think we should go without saying Laura Selwood is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it doesn't yeah, she really is. But yeah, yeah. It, it bears um, repeating. I think it bears repeating. Yes. Yeah. Just, um, yeah. Again, captures the um, yeah moral um, kind of yeah Ella discovering kind of um, yeah discovering her revolutionary spirits um, wonderfully in this episode. I think and. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I think that's why I love that. And also her becoming more doctory as she um, kind of supports Emily. And, um, you know, when she discovers her and kind of starts to figure out what's going on with um, Canterbury Town and what's wrong with it, basically. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, she's um, yeah, showing Ella's growing intelligence and confidence, basically. Um, yeah. So, yeah. That's, um, those would be all of Mark's questions, basically. Um, wow! It's been, so thank you. I'm going to um, just, um, start to wrap up now. I think um, and say yeah. Uh, one, um, thank you to Mark. Um, it's very generous. Um, two, check out um, 
check out episode six, which um, yeah, we're really proud of if you haven't checked it out already. And uh, yeah. this um, little podcast hasn't um, convinced you. Um, you haven't um, checked it out yet, but for some reason you've um, listened through this whole podcast. Do check it out. About the making of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, precisely. Because um, we're really proud of it. Um, and we, are. we want we truly are, as many yeah. people to hear it as possible, basically, for... Yeah. To hear the wonderful work of the um, cast and crew who've yeah, just done some incredible stuff and put a lot of hours into a voluntary project, basically. And secondly, to say, um, do watch this space for the next one, which will be coming hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, yeah. Episode 7, Libertalia. Um, there are Ooh, pirates. Looking forward to it, There are too. pirates and the high seas and the Doctrine, Ella, um, discover a pirate colony that... Um, should be fictional and um, yeah they have to find out um, how it's um, how it's come to exist basically um, uh, yeah, so. I don't know Pirates and Doctor Who yeah well yeah um, could it happen could it be a thing it doesn't, doesn't seem, seem like possible to me. yeah there's a strange synchronicity but we wrote yeah. it first <laughs> <laughs> we made it first yeah yeah well I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that the show has created a gap in the market or not. Uh. <laughs> to be fair, the smugglers, um, the smugglers got there um, a good uh, sixty years ahead of us. So yeah. uh, it's pronounced six decades. Ah, be. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Just because you haven't seen, just because I only haven't seen the smugglers for five decades, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, to, I have a lot of Doctor Who to catch up. Yeah, you know. Thank you for the um, chat, both, and for um, supporting yeah. this. Very welcome. Yeah. It was nice. And um, yeah, thank you to Mark once again. Um, yeah, hopefully, um, would love to be a guest on this again next time, sometime in the future. Um, with pleasure. For sure. Farewell. <laughs>